You are listening to the Kelly Confidential Podcast with Kelly Wilkes. This is episode 11. Welcome to the Kelly Confidential Show, where we talk negotiation essentials and those crucial conversations empowering extraordinary women. Real women, real issues. Let's jump in. Hi, and welcome. I hope you all had a great weekend. We had another long weekend here in the UK, this time for the coronation of King Charles. Um, To be sure, I don't think any other country does pageantry quite like the Brits. Uh, It is truly spectacular. Um, And whatever your views of a monarchy, it's hard not to be impressed by the pomp and circumstance of these really centuries-old traditions. It's just a shame that the weather was so rotten. Um, It literally rained all day on Saturday. It didn't stop the revelers, though, and definitely didn't stop the ceremony or the balcony wave, or the flyover by the famous Red Arrows. Why? Well, simply put, it was their planning, and the foresight to have a plan B, if you will. Having a plan B to help you meet your goals of any kind, in business, career, personal finances, whatever the goal, experts will tell you that having a plan B makes the difference between an adaptable business and a failing one. Same holds true for the paths of this unlikely trio. I'm talking about the unusual combination of Michael Phelps, Alanis Morissette, and Winston Churchill. What on earth could they have in common? Well, firstly, many of us will know them as household names. Secondly, they did things that no other person has ever done. And third, they achieved these things because they implemented a plan B at precisely the right time. Let's check it out. What if Michael Phelps hadn't won gold at the Beijing Olympics in 2008? Sure, his accomplishments up to that point would have been celebrated, but it was the 400-meter medley in 2008 that really distinguished Michael's talents from the pack. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Michael Phelps is a name synonymous with excellence in swimming. As the world record holder with the most Olympic medals to his name, at an incredible 28, 23 of which are gold, he is widely regarded as the best swimmer on the planet, and with a whopping 80-plus medals to his name, he is indeed considered one of the greatest athletes of all time. One of his most memorable victories, as mentioned, came in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, where he won the gold medal in the 400-meter individual medley. But it was how he won that race that's most impressive. The 400-meter individual medley is one of the most grueling events in swimming, requiring athletes to swim four different strokes. These are the butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, and freestyle, over a distance of 400 meters. Phelps was the world record holder in this event and was expected to win gold in Beijing so the pressure was really on. However, in the days leading up to the event, he suffered from a case of goggle malfunction, and he was unable to find a pair of goggles that fit properly, and as a consequence, his eyes were already red and irritated from chlorine exposure. 
Now, as someone who enjoys lap swimming myself, I know how much I rely on my goggles and how mentally distracting it can be when they leak. But Michael Phelps was not going to be limited by this. Undeterred by faulty goggles, Phelps knew the gold medal was on the line, and he got into the pool without any goggles and not only managed to compete, but was able to win the race and achieve gold. How'd he do it? Largely owing to the innovative training techniques of his coach, Bob Bowman, who taught him through countless Plan B training sessions to swim blind by counting strokes instead. And that's what he did. He swam the entire 400 medley with his eyes closed, counting strokes per lap so he knew both the remaining distance and whether he needed to adjust his stroke speed. And it paid off, as despite the lack of visibility, Phelps swam an incredible race, winning the gold medal and setting a new world record. Michael Phelps' victory in the 400-meter individual medley at the 2008 Olympics is one of the most inspiring moments in Olympic history. It's a testament to the incredible skill and determination of both Phelps and his coach, Bob Bowman. By having a tried and tested plan B, Bowman was able to help Michael Phelps achieve his goals of greatness in the pool. Now let's look at another example. Alanis Morissette is a name that needs really no introduction. She's an icon in the world of music, and her unusual path to success is a testament to her talent and unwavering perseverance. In the span of a short few years, she went from being dropped by her record label to achieving meteoric fame on a global stage, setting world records along the way. Let's look at how. Releasing her first pop dance album as a teenager in 1991, she was largely considered the Debbie Gibson of Canada. I know, right? Don't be a hater. Many of us were mall-going Debbie Gibson fans. So the album appealed to those that liked Debbie Gibson or her Tiffany-esque counterpart and the pop style and appearance. And she sold over a million records on that first album. Sticking with the same path, Alanis released another album in 1992. This one carried the same pop theme, but was more somber and with introspective ballads. This time, though, record sales were low, with only 50% of the revenue of the previous album and it was considered a commercial failure. So Alanis was dropped by her label, MCA Records. It was a low point in her still young career, but it was also a critical turning point. Alanis didn't give up. Instead, she took the next couple of years to just write music and to reflect on the mood of her generation. And boy, was it changing. Grunge and industrial music had hit the Pacific Northwest in the U.S., and it was spreading like wildfire. Grunge was the antithesis of the overstyled, shoulder-padded hairbands of the 80s, and it captured the attention and energy of really disenchanted, disenfranchised young people everywhere. Bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, remember them? They led the charge with their angsty lyrics, edgy guitar, and gravelly vocals. And it wasn't just the music that had a makeover. Grunge fashion was one of ripped jeans, combat boots, flannels, unstyled hair, not a shoulder pad in sight. It was a full rejection of 80s superficiality and a rallying cry for a generation that felt lost and disillusioned. It was raw and unpolished. All things that Alanis had been feeling. And in channeling that anti-establishment angst, 
she found her voice. In 1995, she released her third album, a major and risky departure from her former pop image. The album was called Jagged Little Pill. Now considered a cult classic, Jagged Little Pill was a massive critical and commercial success, selling over 33 million copies worldwide and setting a world record at the time for the most Grammy Awards won by a female artist in a single year, including Album of the Year. Over the next two years, she won also at the AMAs, the Brits, the Junos, and numerous other awards for her breakthrough music. And in 1996, she also became the first female Canadian artist to have a number one album on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. Alanis's ability to follow her instincts, hang up the pop dance path, and set her own plan B made her one of the most remarkable and defining musicians for generations of singer-songwriters. Want more proof? Powerhouse musicians like Beyonce, Taylor Swift, and Demi Lovato have all made renditions of You Oughta Know. And I found a YouTube clip of Alanis and Jimmy Fallon doing a pop-up concert in the New York Underground from roughly three years ago. That's 24 years after Jagged Little Pill was first released. And the fervor it created in that little crowded space absolutely amplifies off the screen. The clip is in my show notes. It absolutely gave me goosebumps, and it's it's an absolute must-watch. So check it out. In 2021, she was also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The honor was a testament, really, to Morissette's impact on music and her ability to connect with audiences across generations. Sure, Alanis Morissette could have stayed the course and plugged away at her pop career, but let's be honest, we'd be saying, Alanis who? Instead, her ability to pause and read the room and follow her instincts, which included writing all of her lyrics and producing her own album, created a path of success that few other female rock singers have yet to achieve. Now let's look at our last example. The Normandy invasion, also known as D-Day, was one of the most significant events of World War II. It was a massive amphibious assault launched by the Allied forces on June 6, 1944, against Nazi-occupied France. However, this wasn't the original plan. Many historians will tell you this was, in fact, Winston Churchill's Plan B, one that he both debated for and against over several months of argument with then-U.S. President Roosevelt and Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin. Winston Churchill, a great military strategist, understood the importance of having a fallback plan, a Plan B, Indeed, a few failed missions leading up to the D-Day invasion informed much of his decision-making, causing him to retreat from his Plan B on more than one occasion. Churchill's initial plan to do a cross-channel invasion of Europe was actually meant to launch one year earlier in 1943 and go via Sicily, not France, which Churchill felt was too risky, and he debated controversially for months and months trying to resist that Operation Sledgehammer Approach, as they called it. But even this plan, the plan to go via Sicily, was delayed due to logistical, political, and strategic reasons. But the delay in the original plan crucially provided Churchill and Roosevelt with time to gather more counterintelligence and resources. It also afforded them time to orchestrate a substantially larger strategy that involved coordinated efforts by the Allied forces already leading offenses in Italy, the Soviet Union, and the Pacific, all leading to the massive 
amphibious assault, putting 156,000 Allied troops on the beaches of Normandy in 1944. Churchill's and the Allies' victory over the Germans was the result of careful planning, strategic change management, and coordinated efforts by the Allied forces. It was also the product of a man who held firm in the face of huge odds against him. Soldiers were dying every day of the delay, which Churchill knew and skeptics reminded him of, so that finally they could execute on the right plan B, one that was far better planned, better timed, better supported in terms of manpower, and more enabled in terms of spymasters planting seeds of deception to throw off the Germans. And ultimately, ultimately, it was the key turning point that led to the end of the war. If you like my show and want to hear more of these topics, please give me a like and follow us. And please join my mail list to find out about upcoming courses which will be heading your way this spring. Go to kellyconfidential.com and subscribe to our newsletter. So what does all this mean in negotiation terms? Negotiation is an essential skill in business and everyday life. It involves finding common ground. However, negotiations can be really unpredictable, and things may not always go as planned. That's why it's crucial to have a plan B, a backup strategy in case the primary negotiation plan falls through. This is probably the most common area where I see inexperienced negotiators stumble, and they are either forced to concede more than they planned, or they have to fall back and defer to another day, both of which will feel like a failure. Even if they learned from the experience, the lingering doubt will stay for a while. And I know from over two decades of negotiating that the deals I ran without a thought-out plan B were just less successful, usually because the organization I worked for or my clients, um, they were out of time. Um, But yes, I can tell you here and now that deal-making absent of a plan B will yield less fruit. Why? Well, two reasons. Firstly, the plan B gives you a boost of confidence that you have another avenue to pursue if the first one reaches stalemate. And secondly, I have invariably found ways to pepper elements of my plan B into my original plan to get it across the line. And doing that may create a richer, more satisfying compromise for the other party. And depending on whether you need to maintain relationships with that other party post-negotiation, it can make all the difference. Having a plan B means being open to different possibilities and outcomes. It involves being flexible and adaptable in your approach to negotiation. By having a backup plan, it helps mitigate the potential for being cornered, thus increasing your chances of reaching a favorable outcome. One of the most effective ways to develop a plan B is to conduct thorough research and gather as much information as possible in advance about the other party's goals. This includes understanding their interests, priorities, and potential objections. By having a deep understanding of the other party, you can anticipate their reactions and be better prepared to respond to their demands. Another important aspect of having a plan B is to maintain a positive attitude and keep an open mind. Negotiations can be emotionally charged and it's easy to get stuck in a rigid mindset, but by keeping an open mind and being willing to explore different options, you can increase your chances of finding a mutually beneficial solution. 
As we've seen, having a plan B is an essential aspect of goal planning, as we've heard in my three examples, and also of a successful negotiation. I wonder how things would have turned out if Michael Phelps hadn't practiced swimming blind in advance of the Olympics, or if Alanis Morissette had stuck with her pop career, or if Churchill had gone ahead with his 1943 invasion without the extended Allied support. By training yourself to think strategically and to always have a plan B, your deal will be more adaptable and this in turn makes you more flexible, resilient, and prepared for anything. In my course, I teach you how to develop your deal plan, which includes your plan B, or your BATNA as it's called, which means the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Either way, next time you're heading into a negotiation, take some time to develop a backup plan and be ready for anything that comes your way. Thanks for listening and take care till next time.